Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 376. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rankstraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. How's it going? We're here. Indeed we are. This week on the show, we'll be taking a look at Riz's latest directorial effort, Cutthroat City. We'll also be going over some of watching on the watch list and new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be very helpful. Uh, but just one bit of housekeeping. I think that we decided that we're going to take the week off next week. Is that correct? In order to mm-hmm. in order to prepare for Fantasia Festival, which we'll be covering on the site. Fantasia Festival officially launches on August 20th. And we have a whole slew of movies that we're going to be watching for that festival and covering a bunch of written reviews. And then we're going to try to cover a bunch of stuff on the show. So no show next week. Following week is going to be all Fantasia festival. So there's going to be a lot of genre movies in there that we're going to discuss. I I think we can jump into our review. Again, we're talking about cutthroat city. This comes out on VOD platforms Friday. It's directed by Riza. I have a synopsis here. Set after Hurricane Katrina, four boyhood friends out of options reluctantly accept an offer to pull off a dangerous heist in the heart of New Orleans. Kevin, we'll start it with you. What were your initial impressions of Cutthroat City? Cutthroat City. I think the first thing that jumps out at you with this movie is uh, the cast. Oh, yeah. You got an extensive cast here. Big time. It's great. It's great people. And because of that, you get some really great performances in here. And I think that that really helps this movie. Definitely kept me engaged because like the narrative aspect of it, the filmmaking aspect of it was, you know, serviceable. Like it was, it was well enough for what they were trying to do. But I think the cast definitely, definitely helps out. Absolutely beneficial for a lot of these people to be in this movie. Yeah. The cast elevates it extremely. I I think that it's a good script too. I think that the narrative beats like the, just the overall plot. I agree. It is kind of, it's fine. Like there's, there's nothing new here. It's, it's essentially a heist movie, but there's, I think that the script is well-written enough that it, it allows yeah. a lot of these actors to really shine, even uh, even some of the smaller characters in this. So you have Ethan Hawke in there, Wesley Snipes, Isaiah Washington, Terrence Howard, Shamik Moore, T.I.'s in there, which this was a huge surprise to me because T.I. plays sort of the one of the villains of the movie. His name's Cousin in it. And he does such a good job in this. I was so surprised. And I think... That is largely due to, again, the script. I think that his T.I.'s dialogue in this is done in such a way that it really allows him to show off as an actor and kind of really show his abilities as an actor. Yeah. So what you have here is a movie that it, it begins right before Katrina and it picks up after Katrina just absolutely devastates New Orleans and it takes place in the ninth ward, which is an area, the lower income area that was hit really, really hard by Katrina. And I mean, to this day, it, it's like, there's still problems there. Um, yeah. oh. 
And so it, it follows this group of friends who are really struggling to make ends meet in this area that's just been decimated and there's very little help. Um, Shamik Moore plays the lead and he is a very good artist and he's trying to sell comic books and he's trying to get his career off the ground. But of course he's hitting roadblocks every, every which way because he's a black guy from the ninth ward and you know, they just aren't afforded opportunities. And you have, there's, there's also a really great scene where they actually go to FEMA to try to get some of the FEMA support and they get denied for, for some reason, which I'm sure was happening left and right for people that needed it. So it's a, it's a movie that has uh, a good bit to say, I think how well it says it, I'm not sure, but I thought that it was pretty effective for the most part. Yeah, definitely for the most part. I mean, again, like you said, it's fine. It works pretty well. It just, I, I, to me, it just, it felt like it was missing something. Like there just wasn't, there's really no, um, kind of like twist. Like there is some, but I, they don't come off as like these whirlwind twists that mm-hmm. just like make you reevaluate everything that's going on. You know, from the outset, you pretty much know who's in whose pocket and who's working for who. Yeah. You know, that type of deal. I'm glad you brought that up because that was a little bit of a point of frustration for me was that it's, it sort of sets itself up for some sort of revelation. So like the whole time I'm watching it, I was, I, I found myself like frequently wanting for some like big twist or revelation that, that just simply never came. Like there's this false sense of complexity about the movie where you have all these players. So you have multiple players involved where like Ethan Hawke plays this like councilman and then Terrence Howard plays this gangster guy known as the saint. And you are never quite sure like where people's alliances lie because then you have, you know, TI who's, the, the sort of drug dealing gangster guy. And then you have Rob Morgan as this corrupt detective guy. And you're never sure where these allegiances quite lie, but it never really materializes into anything. So ultimately you, you're just left like, all right, well, I thought that there was going to be some twist here where like this guy was actually yeah. in cahoots well, with this guy, but it never, never really goes anywhere with it. No, and I think it's not necessarily that you don't know where, like, their allegiances lie. I think it's, like, they kind of set it up where they're, like, you know, okay, this this guy's working with this guy. The cops are doing this. You know, and it kind of sets it up. But it kind of sets it up in the sense that, okay, this is actually going to be, it's going to change at any moment. It's going to be, you know, there's going to be this revelation. You're going to find out that, oh, these two are actually in cahoots. You know, like the, the, the dynamics going to completely change at any moment, but it never does. It just, it always stays like, this is what they're doing, you know? And it, it's like you said, it ends up being this, like this false sense of complexity within the story. And it's just like, oh no, everything was just the way that it was set up at the beginning. And for some reason, people are helping out people that probably shouldn't be. Like, yeah. I don't <laughs> Yeah. I was <laughs> kind of confused with like the cops like helping that just seemed odd it it was but i think it 
helps speak to the amount of corruption that was was and probably still is happening in New Orleans. Yeah, which I think is like maybe like a this like fantasy twist on it because I'm because I'm just like in my eyes I'm thinking I think with the police it would just be like full on corruption for the most part. I don't I don't know if I would see them working together to help people. Well, I think that they tried to ex- explain that a little bit with Ethan Hawke's character and the fact that he was in a really vulnerable state and he lost his wife and he was trying to make amends for his past sins. So I think that he was looking at this as an opportunity. I think he even says it. I think he says that he's looking yeah. for absolution in helping these kids out. And of course, as a as a councilman, he has a lot of power and i guess he has that he has rob morgan in his pocket to help facilitate this stuff and this is where i thought that there was going to be some double crossing but it's not that's not really how it all plays out but i will say again just to reiterate just to sort of underscore the performances in this like they give everybody ample opportunity like they give everyone their own moment you know like there's at least one moment where you have a really great monologue from most of these characters. And I think that that's one of the film's biggest strengths is these really great monologues like that you have with um, Terrence Howard and Ethan Hawke and even, even Wesley Snipes, who I think he's ready for a comeback personally, like between this, between his role in this movie and um, Dolomite is my name. Yeah. Between those, those two performances, I feel like Snipes, we need we need him to come back. Just start putting him in everything. Do it. He needs to be in the he needs to be in the right roles though. Like I think that they need to give him more roles like like this and like what he had in in Dolomite is my name. Like not leading actor, you know, action roles, but just no. Some some kind no, of. I definitely would like to see him in more comedies, more yeah. comedic roles. Because he was, he was in, I mean, his role in this movie, he plays um, Shameik Moore's dad, and he plays it, he plays it humorously. Like, it, there's, there's definitely some comedy in his, in his character in this, in this movie. I think that Riza is starting to come into his own as a director. I think that, like, his influences are still sort of worn on his sleeve. I, uh, like, I mean, there's even a conversation in this movie about Tarantino and Tarantino mm-hmm. movies, and I feel like he still so he he sort of adopted that style where there's a few conversations in this movie that don't particularly pertain to the plot immediately, and it's just sort of banter between people about specific subjects. And I love how he always tries to like he'll always inject the things that he's passionate about in his movies. Like you see, there's like a chess game in it and then there's a really great metaphor that they used in in during the chess game where he was saying like don't don't leave the queen unprotected and stuff and uh there's like a scene where you see like some kung fu movie playing in the background and i just love those little kind of wu-tang inspired uh, easter eggs in there too yeah it's just a and i mean i don't I think this is the first movie I've ever seen by Riza, to be honest, that he's directed. Well, it's only his third movie. 
Yeah. But just to say that I haven't seen the, the first two. And I was kind of a little bit surprised. Uh, unfortunately, so. That, that this movie just seemed to have a lack of like, like distinct style. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if I didn't know, and then at the end of it, you were like, this movie was directed by Riza. I'd be like, no, it wasn't. Because <laughs> I feel like at least with the, the man with the iron fist, even though I didn't see that movie, like even from just from like trailers and stuff, you know, images that I've seen from the movie, I'm like, okay, that, that has a very distinct style. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking going into Cutthroat City. I was like, at least this is going to have a very distinct style to it, you know? But it it kind of came off as, you know, any other heist movie, just with a far superior cast. Yeah, which is, which is actually kind of funny because it, the opening credits are a little misleading because you see those opening credits and you're just like, oh, yeah, this is going to be one slick movie. Because I really liked the opening, yeah. the opening credits, but uh, no, it it ends up feeling pretty pretty standard. I think that you can definitely see some Tarantino influences in there still, and with the Man with the Iron Fist, that was very heavily Tarantino inspired. And then I was also feeling a little Spike Lee in there as well, mm-hmm. uh, especially with like the narration that comes on at the end and stuff, where he lays out the intentions of the movie very specifically and just just so there's like no room for interpretation no no room for like misinterpretation like this is what this movie's about and i appreciate that in in spike lee movies i think that maybe it was a little bit too intense with the messaging in this i think he could have dialed it back and made it a little bit more subtle but I also think that this was a uh, maybe could have used another edit. Yeah, again, I was expecting some more, uh, some more style, some more flourishes. Yeah, you don't have too many in there. Like, there's uh, there's a couple things here and there, a um, couple things that I feel like didn't work at all. Like, there's a really awkward freeze frame that happens at one point, and there's some really weird fading that happens in it too towards the end. And I felt like that didn't work. Uh, there's a lot of handheld work in this, which I thought was a little bit of a mixed bag. Well, that's really all I have to say about Cutthroat City. I think it's worth a look on on performances alone. And you know, it's uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty big crime epic. I would say like there's a lot going on in this movie. It's over two hours long. Yeah, because yeah, because the whole like the the heist thing. That's the kind of talks about in the synopsis, which is kind of a misdirect too, because going into it, you're kind of thinking this like, okay, I'm kind of envisioning this as like what you would think of in terms of a heist movie, which is, you know, that's my own failing. But you kind of think, you know, it's going to be structured like a heist film, but the heist that they're talking about in the synopsis is very early on. It's very quick. There's not a whole lot to it. And then there's a lot of stuff after the fact. Like, that's actually what's happening in this movie. The heist is barely even a thing, to be honest. Can we just talk for a second about Demetrius Ship Jr. and how uncanny his resemblance is to Tupac? Mm -hmm. I mean, 
like I know he it's, played Tupac um, in in the the biopic, but holy yeah. shit! It's 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 distracting. I mean, I mean, I mean he's <laughs> like he's a straight up doppelganger. Like it's, yeah, it's very bizarre. I, I actually didn't see All Eyes on Me, but um, I mean I, I've seen plenty of like trailers and clips from it and stuff. So like I knew he looked and talked and and had the same mannerisms as Tupac but this is the first movie I've seen him in where he's not being Tupac and it made me realize like holy shit he's just it's just like how he is like he he's just straight up Tupac's doppelganger yeah it's uh it's something else and it's pretty incredible uh any other any final thoughts before we give this a score uh no I don't think so okay uh, for me, I'm sitting at, uh, right around a six out of 10 on this one. Okay. That was another surprising thing, to be honest with this movie. I thought there would be more to say about it. You know what I mean? Like I, th- I thought that there'd be a lot here considering the cast, considering the director, considering the, the story. Yeah, I mean, it's more drama than anything. Like, there's a lot more drama than action in it. Uh, you do get to see a guy get his dick bit off by a raccoon, so... I mean, that is... that is There is raccoon fighting, which I didn't know is a thing. I didn't either. <laughs> Did not either. I want to know is like is that is that based on something like is there actual like raccoon fighting rings, or was that just an imagination thing from the mind of Riza? Like, I don't you know. know. I raccoon don't know. fighting. I hope not. Like I hope it was just a made up thing. Yeah, but you know, people fight all sorts of stuff. I know. Uh, yeah. For for me, it's like a it's like a five. All right, straight kind of down the middle. Straight down the middle for you. Like okay. It, yeah, outside outside of like some really solid performances. Again, like you said, I was surprised by Ti as well. I think he's really he plays a really really good villain in this movie. And then of course, always good to see Rob Morgan, and he gets he gets a good bit to do in this, which was nice. But I I I feel like towards the end of this year, or maybe even towards the end of this month. I, there's not going to be a whole lot stuck in my mind about this movie. I don't, I don't think it's going to stick. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, it's very rare that a movie can be held up on performances alone. And I think that that's the case here. You have a really great cast who all deliver really great performances, but I just don't feel like the story is quite there. All right. Let's talk about someone we're watching. I think it might be my turn this week. Well, guess what? It has to be because I ain't watched nothing <laughs> outside of like Fantasia movies, but that's going to be its own thing. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of talk a little bit about X-Files if you want. If you'll have me, I will. Yeah, absolutely. Always down All for right. some X-Files talk. I'll hit you with a couple of things here and there. I saw The Pale Door. This is a movie that's coming out on Friday. This is directed by Aaron B. Coons. I'll have a review for this up on the site this week. Uh, this is a a very rare thing, and that's a Western horror movie. There's not enough. Okay. Not enough Western horror movies. You know, we've had Bone Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. We've had Tremors 4. Where, where are the other Western horror movies? And I don't mean like folk horror movies that 
happened to take place during that time period, like The Wind or any of those other movies. I mean, like like straight up cowboys, train robbing, Western. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is a this is a mashup of a western and a horror movie where you have this band of outlaws who rob a train and they think that they they made away with this trunk full of loot. They stole it from the Pinkertons and they open up this trunk thinking there was going to be gold and nope, it's a young woman tied up and she has this like face mask thing on and they're just like, "What? What, what is going on here? What are we doing?" Well, the leader of the outlaws ends up getting shot during the robbery, and he's, he's in bad shape. And she says, if, if you let me go, I can take you to my village. We have doctors there. We can patch him up, fix him up good. So they follow her. They go to this village. It's like a, the town's dead. It's a dead town, except for the brothel. The brothel is hopping. There's all these women, beautiful women in the brothel. They, they go in. They, they just start showering these guys with alcohol and food and you know the ladies are all over them and up oh, guess what it's a coven of witches and they and they all get attacked in various horrific ways by these witches and so you have these outlaws that have to survive against this coven of witches really cool idea i really liked the premise of this you have some Really cool people in oh, here. No. Uh, Noah Segan is in there. He plays one of the outlaws. You have Pat Healy in there, who's another one of the outlaws. So you have you have a pretty solid cast in there too. I think the movie falters a bit when it doesn't just fully embrace the the Western horror thing. Uh, it too often will try to go into dramatic territory and have these like really heartfelt talks between. Some of the people, uh, specifically like the leader, like his younger brother is is brought in and like there's just all this kind of familial drama that's happening and, and all of these like sort of like these pseudo sentimental moments that, that these characters have. And I think that it's unfortunate because it just sort of goes against what this movie truly is. And that's a crazy witch Western horror movie. And so I feel like it just doesn't fully embrace that. So it comes very, very close to being like flat out awesome, but it just slightly misses the mark. Man, I still had fun with it. I was, I was, I was, yeah, I gotta say I was pretty excited, but I could tell that the way that you're, (laughs) <laughs> kind of discussing in the beginning that there's going to be a, you know, a, a butt in there, a, fa- a failure in execution somehow. Because I mean, the idea of outlaws versus witches. Come yeah, on. and and there's like some of the some of the like set piece. It felt very much like from dusk till dawn to me. There's this like initial thing like when the the witches reveal themselves, and it feels very much like from dusk till dawn where they're fighting in this brothel. A large portion of the movie takes place in the brothel. And these witches are like crawling on the ceilings and like, it's just, you know, pandemonium in there. Uh, but, but there's also like these really cool things. Like, I mean, they're witches. So they're like casting spells on the people mm-hmm. and stuff. And like they trick, 
one of the characters into eating glass and he, he thought it was beef jerky and he's like eating pieces of glass and stuff. So there's a lot of really cool moments in this, but it just slightly misses the mark when it tries to bring in all of this other, these sort of earnest like moments. Mm. I don't, I don't have, I don't have any way to tie that into X-Files. I didn't have any X-Files episodes that dealt with outlaws and or witches. Or the Wild West. So, I'm empty-handed on that one. I feel like there's probably one somewhere in the series. How far are you into it at this point? I just, yeah, I haven't, I haven't got to it at that point, I think. No, I don't want to tell you, because then you'll just laugh at me, and you'll be like, that's it? That's it as far as you are? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're playing it up like you were just watching X-Files nonstop. <laughs> Yeah, for the like the entirety of my life, but yeah, it's not really true. Uh, You know, I don't have a lot of time. You would think that I would, but I don't. I feel like I have you made it past the first season yet? No. Okay. (laughs) I was just gonna say I think I think season two is where it really starts getting its stride. But I mean, there's still there's still plenty of great episodes in season one. No, episode or season one is just like honestly for me. Um, I didn't watch X Files like as a kid. My brother was really, really into X Files. He was obsessed with it, so he had to watch it every time it was on. I didn't really watch it because it freaked me out. I did like it, it was too scary for me. So I never really watched it outside of like an episode here and there. So this was the idea of like, okay, I'm I'm a man now, or you know, approaching one. Like a semblance of a man that I can handle X Files now, conquer this. right? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this badge for my sash. Um, but the interesting thing is, is with like the first season, it's really um, I don't want to say hit or miss, but like the the effects work and stuff that they try and do from episode to episode is like the quality is man, it wildly goes across the spectrum like there's some stuff that's just ridiculous looking and it's just corny as all hell and you're just like what the fuck am i watching like how did this show make it and then there's other episodes where they just nail everything perfectly like atmosphere uh like the effects works everything and you're just like yeah this is what i'm talking about this is so good but then it's followed up by an episode that's just really fucking dumb and you're like okay my favorite are always the monster of the week episodes, like the the sort of self-contained episodes rather than the like government conspiracy alien like overarching narrative episodes. Well, and that's what it is like with the first season it seems like they're not 100% sure what they want to do with this show because it's like they come back to the you know the government stuff. Like that's always in every episode. But I don't know, like, I was just, I was honestly thinking that this was more so paranormal stuff, or, you know, with extraterrestrials and everything. But there's some, there's some interesting choices being made in this first season. But I did watch the, it was their, their version of the thing, their episode, oh, which yeah. is just a complete remake of the thing, yeah. uh, which is fun. 
Yeah, it was really fun. When I was revisiting the series, I remember I remember that episode. That was a really good episode. Yeah, I, I didn't know that they did that. So like, as soon as they, like they set it up, you know, within the first, which the the effects in that episode, some are great, like the creature stuff, and then some of it's just really fucking terrible, just awful. <laughs> <laughs> And like as soon as they set it all up, I'm just like, this is the thing. This is great. Love it. I saw Peninsula. Now, okay. <laughs> uh, hey. I, I don't think I'm going to get too too much into this. This was a movie that we were going to cover this week uh, instead of Cutthroat City, but like Cutthroat City was a backup, and we didn't get a chance to watch Peninsula because. There were reasons behind why we we couldn't make it yeah, work should, for this episode. Should we, should we do a little inside baseball and how screeners have changed over the years? Yeah. And so for some reason, they seem to have gotten like far more difficult than they need to be. Yeah. So uh, the the release date for Peninsula got pushed back. Uh, I can't remember what the original release was, but it got pushed back, and because of that, my, the screener link expired, and I had to get them to renew it and then after they renewed it uh it it expired again after like a day and kevin didn't get to see the movie so that's that's sort of what happened yeah and it just sucks because like i was i was very because usually i'm just fast and loose like I, i like i usually don't ask you beforehand like i'll just start a movie and i'll watch like 15 minutes of it and be like okay i got stuff to do shut the computer down and then you'll be like, God damn it, Kevin, you fucking idiot. That was a one-time thing. I'm like, oh, sorry. But this, I took the precautions. And it still didn't work. Yeah, sometimes there's, yeah, there's a lot of limits on, on them. And yeah, this one, unfortunately, it just, it didn't work. I did get, I did get a chance to see it, though. I'm going to have a written review up on the site um, probably today uh, or tomorrow. The so this is directed by Yan Sang Ho. It's he's the same guy who did the did Train to Busan, which this is a sequel to. It takes place four years after the events of Train to Busan. And in in my review, I sort of compared this to the Raid versus the Raid Two. Whereas okay. in Train to Busan, you have mm-hmm. a very sort of it's a, a very fast, very kinetic, contained movie. Most of the movie takes place on the train right and then and that's how the raid is it's in one apartment building then in the raid two uh the whole thing opens up and you have car chases and big gunfights and all of these other things and it turns into almost this crime epic and that's sort of how it is with peninsula as well like the the whole world opens up you because it takes place four years after the zombie apocalypse uh, we're in sort of the like Mad Max world, like Land of the Dead, if you've seen that, um, where mm-hmm. the zombies just took over all of Korea and you have this team going into Korea in order to get this truck that's filled with money, US dollars, millions of dollars, and they're trying to get this truck off of the peninsula. And they have three days to do it. So you have this team of people going in. They get attacked by zombies. But guess what? The zombies aren't their biggest problem. It's the people that are surviving there because they're all like mm-hmm. crazed psycho killers by this point. 
and they they kidnap people and they uh, force them to fight zombies for sport and you have some really awesome set pieces in this if you've seen the trailer for this you'll have an idea uh there's these really freaking out of control car battles mad max style car chases and those there's there's like two of them in the movie but those alone are worth seeing this because they're just so energetic so crazy tons of fun this is a good this is a good movie um i i I hesitate to say that I liked it more than the first one. I, I, I didn't like it more than the first one, but this is still a really solid entry. It's, it's very tonally different than the first one as well. This is very action heavy. Uh, lots of shooting and gunfights and stuff like that in the aforementioned car chases, which in Train to Busan, I don't think there was like any shooting at all. I think that they were just like bashing the zombies with their fists. I remember there's a lot of zombie punching in that movie. So yeah, Peninsula. It comes out this week. Uh, I definitely recommend checking it out. It is a Shutter movie, so I imagine that this is going to be popping up on Shutter in the not too distant future as well. Oh shit! Yeah, and and, yeah, and uh, portions of this are in English too, which I found kind of interesting. Hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, Um, I think that uh, there's. It's partially due to the fact that the the main characters end up becoming refugees and having to go to hong kong so because Mm. there's a language barrier there everybody just sort of speaks english gotcha yeah check it out peninsula all right let's take a look at what we have on vod this week got a number of notable releases here first up we have skin a history of nudity in the movies that's obviously a documentary on nudity in movies We have The Barge People. That's a horror movie. We have A Life of Endless Summers, the Bruce Brown story. That's the guy who did the Endless Summer movie. Movies, if you couldn't tell by the title. Mm -hmm. I loved The Endless Summer and The Endless Summer 2. Loved them. I don't don't know what these are. They're surfing documentaries. Surfing documentaries. But they're like old. They're like old. You have Tracks. That's also on the 18th. And then on the 21st, you have the August Virgin. That's going to be a virtual theatrical release. You have Chemical Hearts. That's going to be on Amazon Prime. Tesla, uh, which is the one with Ethan Hawke, where he plays Nikola Tesla. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this. Kyle MacLachlan plays Thomas Edison. This one piqued my interest a little bit. It looks It looks a little out there. Because from the trailer, it looks like they have cell phones and stuff so it looks like they mix in like future technology into the biopic okay so i'm very curious as to like how that works if it was just some sort of like like if it's organically fit in there or if it's like dream sequences or like how how it all fits together but uh, i'll be checking that out we have stage mother uh, cutthroat city is coming out and peninsula is also coming out. I think that's about it for VOD. As always, check on the website at our VOD calendar for the latest. Uh, I need to update that. Obviously, with everything the way it is, there's tons and tons of movies coming in all the time. So I try to keep it up to date, but sometimes I get a few days behind. On Blu-ray this week, we have Gamera, the complete collection. This is a Arrow box set. It's 
It's got 13 movies. It's all the Gamera movies. Okay. Never saw a single Gamera movie, so. Me either. Kind of interested in this. Uh, I think some of these are on HBO Max, maybe? I know that I, I saw them recently listed on a streaming service. Uh, we have Flash Gordon. That's a 4K release on Arrow. I never saw Flash Gordon either. Just never appealed to me. Me either. Uh, we have Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell from 1974. We have Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons, the movie. Huh? <laughs> Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons, the movie. Deathstroke? Nah, Deathstroke Knights is a DC Comics character, so I'm assuming that this is a, an animated film. The interesting thing here is the the putting the movie part into it. Like, is, mm-hmm. is Deathstroke, mm-hmm. Knights mm-hmm. and Dragons the name of something else? Like a comic book or a show or something? I'm not sure. Just in case, they don't want you to get confused. If you were looking for perhaps the TV show, perhaps the limited series, yeah, whatever it may be, this is the movie. It looks like it's in that same kind of Batman the Animated Series style, which I always like. So might be worth a look. I haven't watched too many of the DC animated movies recently. I used to watch pretty much all of them, but I don't know. I kind of fell off. We have Soldier Blue from 1970. We got The Eagle and the Hawk from 1933. Pitch Black from 2000. That's, that's going to be on Arrow. The Outpost from earlier this year. It's a war film. We got Backlash from 1956. The Red Ball Express from 1952. Prevenge is finally coming out on Blu-ray. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Last House on the Left from 1972. That's the, the Wes Craven film. That's getting an Arrow release as well. Open 24 Hours. That's a horror film. Those Who Deserve to Die. The Barge People. Looks That Kill. Not Zilla. Mm-hmm. Guest of Honor. Uh, Kino Lorber is putting out Guest of Honor. That's the Adam Egoyan one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's about it. What do we have on Criterion this week? <clears throat> oh, we got two. We have Paul Schrader's The Comfort of Strangers from 1990 <clears throat> getting released. Christopher Walken, Helen Mirren, Rupert Everett, Natasha Richardson. Never seen it. Never even heard of it, actually, to be honest. Neither have I. Movie I've never even heard of. Yeah, neither have I. Um, and I, I'm going to be hopefully putting out a review on this uh, very soon. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing it for Criterion, so. Okay. I'm interested. Okay. Uh, And then the other one is a documentary, Town Bloody Hall from 1979, which is Norman Mailer doing a kind of like this debate with uh, four prominent female thinkers. And it was all this footage was shot by D.A. Pennebaker. And then it was kind of like condensed into a three and a half hour. So if you if you're in the mood for a uh, a lengthy documentary on debating with Norman Mailer, it just sounds it sounds so unappealing. It sounds me, so dry. To be honest, <laughs> so dry. I don't want any part of it because it's just going to be a bunch of people that are probably 
far smarter than Norman Mailer. And I have a feeling that it's just him being an asshole and mm. just a bunch of arguing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, three and a half hours of that. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's great. I could be wrong. <laughs> it's just like, Not I guess me. it could be fun in that way. Three and a half hours of Norman Malick and his ass handed to him. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with uh, chron- uh, No Limit Chronicles and Rough Riders Chronicles. <laughs> Hell yeah. Those Definitely are definitely more edifying. Those are so entertaining. Those are actually really fascinating. Uh, all right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, consider giving us a review on iTunes. That would be super helpful. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson, and we'll see you later. <laughs>